story six of the grim smile of the five towns by arnold bennett this LibriVox recording is in the public domain story six the murder of the mandarin one what's that you're saying about murder asked mrs cheswardine as she came into the large drawing-room carrying the supper tray oh put it down here said her husband referring to the supper tray and pointing to a little table which stood two legs off and two legs on the hearth-rug that apron suits you immensely murmured woodruff the friend of the family as he stretched his long limbs into the fender towards the fire farther even than the long limbs of cheswardine each man occupied an easy-chair on either side of the hearth each was very tall and each was forty mrs cheswardine with a whisk infinitely graceful set the tray on the table took a seat behind it on a chair that looked like a toddling grand-nephew of the armchairs and nervously smoothed out the apron as a matter of fact the apron did suit her immensely it is astounding delicious adorable the effect of a natty little domestic apron suddenly put on over an elaborate and costly frock especially when you can hear the rustle of a silk petticoat beneath and more especially when the apron is smoothed out by jewelled fingers every man knows this every woman knows it mrs cheswardine knew it in such matters mrs cheswardine knew exactly what she was about she delighted when her husband brought woodruff in late of a night as he frequently did after a turn at the club to prepare with her own hands the servants being in bed a little snack of supper for them tomato sandwiches for instance miraculously thin together with champagne or bass the men preferred bass naturally but if mrs cheswardine had a fancy for a sip of champagne out of her husband's tumbler a bass was not forthcoming to-night it was champagne woodruff opened it as he always did and involuntarily poured out a libation on the hearth as he almost always did good-natured ungainly long-suffering men seldom achieve the art of opening champagne mrs cheswardine tapped her pink slippered foot impatiently you're all nerves to-night woodruff laughed and you made me nervous and at length he got some of the champagne into a tumbler no i'm not mrs cheswardine contradicted him yes you are vera woodruff insisted calmly she smiled the use of that elegant christian name with its faint suggestion of russian archduchesses had a strange effect on her particularly from the lips of woodruff she was proud of it and of her surname too one of the oldest surnames in the five towns the syllables of vera invariably soothed her like a charm woodruff and cheswardine also had called her vera during the whole of her life and she was thirty they had all three lived in different houses at the top end of trafalgar road bursley woodruff fell in love with her first when she was eighteen but with no practical result he was a brown-haired man personable despite his ungainliness but he failed to perceive that to worship from afar off is not the best way to capture a young woman with large eyes and an emotional disposition cheswardine who had a black beard simply came along and married the little thing she fluttered down on to his shoulders like a pigeon she adored him feared him cooed to him 
worried him and knew that there were depths of his mind which she would never plumb woodruff after being best man went on loving meekly and yet philosophically and found his chief joy in just these suppers the arrangement suited vera and as for the husband and the hopeless admirer they had always been fast friends i asked you what you were saying about murder said vera sharply but it seems oh did you woodruff apologized i was saying that murder isn't such an impossible thing as it appears any one might commit a murder then you want to defend harrisford do you hear what he says stephen the notorious and terrible harrisford murders were agitating the five towns that november people read talked and dreamt murder for several weeks they took murder to all their meals he doesn't want to defend harrisford at all said jesredine with a superior masculine air and of course any one might commit a murder i might stephen how horrid you are you might even said woodruff gazing at vera charlie why the blood alone there isn't always blood said the oracular husband listen here proceeded woodruff who read variously and enjoyed philosophical speculation supposing that by just taking thought by just wishing it an englishman could kill a mandarin in china and make himself rich for life without anybody knowing anything about it how many mandarins do you suppose there would be left in china at the end of a week at the end of twenty-four hours rather said chesverdine grimly not one said woodruff but that's absurd vera objected disturbed when these two men began their philosophical discussions they always succeeded in disturbing her she hated to see life in a queer light she hated to think it isn't absurd woodruff replied it simply shows that what prevents wholesale murder is not the wickedness of it but the fear of being found out and the general mess and seeing the corpse and so on vera shuddered and i'm not sure woodruff proceeded that murder is so very much more wicked than lots of other things usury for instance chesverdine put in or bigamy said woodruff but an englishman couldn't kill a mandarin in china by just wishing it said vera looking up how do we know said woodruff in his patient voice how do we know you remember what i was telling you about thought transference last week it was in borderland vera felt as if there was no more solid ground to stand on and it angered her to be plunging about in a bog i think it's simply silly she remarked no thanks she said no thanks to her husband when he tendered his glass he moved the glass still closer to her lips i said no thanks she repeated dryly just a mouthful he urged i'm not thirsty then you'd better go to bed said he he had a habit of sending her off to bed abruptly she did not dislike it but she had various ways of going to-night it was the way of an archduchess two woodruff in stating that vera was all nerves that evening was quite right she was and neither her husband nor woodruff knew the reason the reason had to do most intimately with frocks 
vera had been married ten years but no one would have guessed it to watch her girlish figure and her bird-like ways you see she was the only child in the house she often bitterly regretted the absence of offspring to the name and honour of chesredine she envied other wives their babies she doted on babies she said continually that in her deliberate opinion the proper mission of women was babies she was the sort of woman that regards a cathedral as a place built especially to sit in and dream soft domestic dreams the sort of woman that adores music simply because it makes her dream and vera's brown studies which were frequent consisted chiefly of babies but as babies amused themselves by coming down the chimneys of all the other houses in bursley and avoiding her house she sought comfort in frocks she made the best of herself and it was a good best her figure was as near perfect as a woman's can be and then there were those fine emotional eyes and that flutteringness of the pigeon and an ever-changing charm of gesture vera had become the best-dressed woman in bursley and that is saying something her husband was wealthy with an increasing income though of course as an earthenware manufacturer and the son and grandson of an earthenware manufacturer he joined heartily in the general five towns lamentation that there was no longer any money to be made out of pots he liked to have a well-dressed woman about the house and he allowed her an incredible allowance the amount of which was breathed with awe among vera's friends a hundred a year in fact he paid it to her quarterly by check such was his method now a ball was to be given by the members of the ladies hockey club or such of them as had not been maimed for life in the pursuit of this noble pastime on the very night after the conversation about murder vera belonged to the hockey club in a purely ornamental sense and she had procured a frock for the ball which was calculated to crown her reputation as a mirror of elegance the skirt had but no see the columns of the staffordshire signal for the ninth november nineteen o one the mischief was that the gown lacked for its final perfection one particular thing and that particular thing was separated from vera by the glass front of brunt's celebrated shop at hanbridge vera could have managed without it the gown would still have been brilliant without it but vera had seen it and she wanted it its cost was a guinea well you will say what is a guinea to a dainty creature with a hundred a year let her go and buy the article the point is that she couldn't because she had only six and sevenpence left in the wide world and six weeks to christmas she had squandered oh soul above money twenty-five pounds and more than twenty-five pounds since the twenty-ninth of september well you will say credit in other words tick oh no 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 the giant stephen absolutely and utterly forbade her to procure anything whatever on credit she was afraid of him she knew just how far she could go with stephen he was great and terrible well you will say why couldn't she blandish and cajole stephen for a sovereign or so 
impossible she had a hundred a year on the clear understanding that it was never exceeded nor anticipated well you will discreetly hint there are certain devices known to housewives hush vera had already employed them six and sevenpence was not merely all that remained to her of her dress allowance it was all that remained to her of her household allowance till the next monday hence her nerves there that poor unfortunate woman lay with her unconscious tyrant of a husband snoring beside her desolately wakeful under the night-light in the large luxurious bedroom three servants sleeping overhead champagne in the cellar furs in the wardrobe valuable lace round her neck at that very instant grand piano in the drawing-room horses in the stable stuffed bear in the hall and her life was made a blank for want of fourteen and fivepence and she had nobody to confide in how true it is that the human soul is solitary that content is the only true riches and that to be happy we must be good it was at that juncture of despair that she thought of mandarins or rather i may as well be frank she had been thinking of mandarins all the time since retiring to rest there might be something in charlie's mandarin theory according to charlie so many queer inexplicable things happened in the world occult subliminal astral thought waves these expressions and many more occurred to her as she recollected charlie's disconcerting conversations there might one never knew suddenly she thought of her husband's pockets bulging with silver with gold and with banknotes tantalizing vision no she could not steal besides he might wake up and she returned to mandarins she got herself into a very morbid and two o'clock in the morning state of mind suppose it was a dodge that did work of course she was extremely superstitious we all are she began to reflect seriously upon china she remembered having heard that chinese mandarins were very corrupt that they ground the faces of the poor and put innocent victims to the torture in short that they were sinful and horrid persons scoundrels unfit for mercy then she pondered upon the remotest parts of china regions where europeans never could penetrate no doubt there was some unimportant mandarin somewhere in these regions to whose district his death would be a decided blessing to kill whom would indeed be an act of humanity probably a mandarin without wife or family a bachelor mandarin whom no relative would regret or in the alternative a mandarin with many wives whose disgusting polygamy merited severe punishment an old mandarin already pretty nearly dead or in the alternative a young one just commencing a career of infamy i'm awfully silly she whispered to herself but still if there should be anything in it i must i must i must have that thing for my dress she looked again at the dim forms of her husband's clothes pitched anyhow on an ottoman no she could not stoop to theft so she murdered a mandarin lying in bed there not any particular mandarin a vague mandarin the mandarin most convenient and suitable under all the circumstances she deliberately wished him dead 
on the off chance of acquiring riches or more accurately because she was short of fourteen and fivepence in order to look perfectly splendid at a ball in the morning when she woke up her husband had already departed to the works she thought how foolish she had been in the night she did not feel sorry for having desired the death of a fellow-creature not at all she felt sorry because she was convinced in the cold light of day that the charm would not work charlie's notions were really too ridiculous too preposterous no she must reconcile herself to wearing a ball dress which was less than perfection and all for the want of fourteen and five spence and she had more nerves than ever she had nerves to such an extent that when she went to unlock the drawer of her own private toilet-table in which her prudent and fussy husband forced her to lock up her rings and brooches every night she attacked the wrong drawer an empty unfastened drawer that she never used and lo the empty drawer was not empty there was a sovereign lying in it this gave her a start connecting the discovery as naturally at the first blush she did with the mandarin surely it couldn't be after all then she came to her senses what absurdity a coincidence of course nothing else besides a mere sovereign it wasn't enough charlie had said rich for life the sovereign must have lain there for months and months forgotten however it was none the less a sovereign she picked it up thanked providence ordered the dog-cart and drove straight to brunt's the particular thing that she acquired was an exceedingly thin slim and fetching silver belt a marvel for the money and the ideal waist decoration for her wonderful white muslin gown she bought it and left the shop and as she came out of the shop she saw a street urchin holding out the poster of the early edition of the signal and she read on the poster in large letters death of li hung chang it is no exaggeration to say that she nearly fainted only by the exercise of that hard self-control of which women alone are capable did she refrain from tumbling against the blue-clad breast of adams the cheswardine coachman she purchased the signal with well-feigned calm opened it and read stop press news peking li hung chang the celebrated chinese statesman died at two o'clock this morning Reuter. Three vera reclined on the sofa that afternoon and the sofa was drawn round in front of the drawing-room fire and she wore her fluffiest and languidest peignoir and there was a perfume of eau de cologne in the apartment vera was having a headache she was having it in her grand her official manner stephen had had to lunch alone he had been told that in all probability his suffering wife would not be well enough to go to the ball whereupon he had grunted as a fact vera's headache was extremely real and she was very upset indeed the death of li hung chang was heavy on her soul occultism was justified of itself the affair lay beyond coincidence she had always known that there was something in occultism supernaturalism so-called superstitions what not 
but she had never expected to prove the faith that there was in her by such a homicidal act on her own part it was detestable of charlie to have mentioned the thing at all he had no right to play with fire and as for her husband words could give but the merest rough outline of her resentment against stephen a pretty state of things that a woman with a position such as she had to keep up should be reduced to six and sevenpence stephen no doubt expected her to visit the pawn-shop it would serve him right if she did so and he met her coming out under the three brass balls did she not dress solely and wholly to please him not in the least to please herself personally she had a mind set on higher things impossible aspirations but he liked fine clothes and it was her duty to satisfy him she strove to satisfy him in all matters she lived for him she sacrificed herself to him completely and what did she get in return nothing 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 all men were selfish and women were their victims stephen with his silly bullying rules against credit and so forth the worst of men was that they had no sense she put a new dose of eau de cologne on her forehead and leaned on one elbow on the mantelpiece lay the tissue parcel containing the slim silver belt the price of lee's death she wanted to stick it in the fire and only the fact that it would not burn prevented her savagely doing so there was something wrong too with the occultism to receive a paltry sovereign for murdering the greatest statesman of the eastern hemisphere was simply grotesque moreover she had most distinctly not wanted to deprive china of a distinguished man she had expressly stipulated for an inferior and insignificant mandarin one that could be spared and that was unknown to reuter she supposed she ought to have looked up china at the wedgwood institution and selected a definite mandarin with a definite place of residence but could she be expected to go about a murder deliberately like that with regard to the gross inadequacy of the fiscal return for her deed perhaps that was her own fault she had not wished for more her brain had been so occupied by the belt that she had wished only for the belt but perhaps on the other hand vast wealth was to come perhaps something might occur that very night that would be better yet would it be better however rich she might become stephen would coolly take charge of her riches and dole them out to her and make rules for her concerning them and besides charlie would suspect her guilt charlie understood her and perused her thoughts far better than stephen did she would never be able to conceal the truth from charlie the conversation the death of lee within two hours and then a sudden fortune accruing to her charlie would inevitably put two and two together and divine her shameful secret the outlook was thoroughly black anyway she then fell asleep when she awoke some considerable time afterwards stephen was calling to her it was his voice indeed that had aroused her the room was dark i say vera he demanded in a low slightly inimical tone have you taken a sovereign out of the empty drawer in your toilette table no she said quickly without thinking ah he observed reflectively i knew i was right 
he paused and added coldly if you aren't better you ought to go to bed then he left her shutting the door with a noise that showed a certain lack of sympathy with her headache she sprang up her first feeling was one of thankfulness that that brief interview had occurred in darkness so stephen was aware of the existence of the sovereign the sovereign was not occult possibly he had put it there and what did he know he was right about she lighted the gas and gazed at herself in the glass realizing that she no longer had a headache and endeavoring to arrange her ideas what's this said another voice at the door she glanced round hastily guiltily it was charlie steve telephoned me you were too ill to go to the dance exclaimed charlie so i thought i'd come and make inquiries i quite expected to find you in bed with a nurse and doctor or two at least what is it he smiled nothing she replied only a headache it's gone now she stood against the mantelpiece so that he should not see the white parcel that's good said charlie there was a pause strange the hung jang dying last night just after we had been talking about killing mandarins she said she could not keep off the subject it attracted her like a snake and she approached it in spite of the fact that she fervently wished not to approach it yes said charlie but lee wasn't a mandarin you know and he didn't die after we had been talking about mandarins he died before oh i thought it said in the paper he died at two o'clock this morning two a m in pekin charlie answered you must remember that pekin time is many hours earlier than our time it lies so far eastward oh she said again stephen hurried in with a worried air ah it's you charlie she isn't absolutely dying i find said charlie turning to vera you are going to the dance after all aren't you i say vera stephen interrupted either you or i must have a scene with martha i've always suspected that confounded housemaid so i put a marked sovereign in a drawer this morning and it was gone at lunchtime she'd better hook it instantly of course i shan't prosecute martha cried vera stephen what on earth are you thinking of i wish you would leave the servants to me if you think you can manage this house in your spare time from the works you are welcome to try but don't blame me for the consequences glances of triumph flashed in her eyes but i tell you nonsense said vera i took the sovereign i saw it there and i took it just to punish you i've spent it it's not at all nice to lay traps for the servants like that then why did you tell me just now you had not taken it stephen demanded crossly i didn't feel well enough to argue with you then vera replied you've recovered precious quick retorted stephen with grimness of course if you want to make a scene before strangers vera whimpered poor charlie a stranger i'll go to bed stephen knew when he was beaten she went to the hockey dance though she and stephen and charlie and his young sister aged seventeen all descended together on the town hall in a brougham the young girl admired vera's belt excessively and looked forward to the moment when she too should be a bewitching and captivating wife like vera in short a woman of the world worshipped by grave bearded men and both the men were under the spell of vera's incurable charm 
capricious surprising exasperating indefinable indispensable to their lives stupid superstitions reflected vera but of course i never believed it really and she cast down her eyes to gloat over the belt end of story six